Everybody, Cable Smith, welcome in each and every one of you into episode 43 of Justified Pursuit. We've got a good one for you today. Alongside, as always, a good friend, the counselor, Chisholm Cook. How are you? Um, I'm still you know, smiling because I had a lot of uh, birthday, like gratuitous birthday interaction with my wife this weekend. So I'm doing great. You don't even have to ask. But how are you? N- not, not as well. Uh, <laughs> on that front... It is, um, it is that time where I don't get to engage in such things. Uh, and then <laughs> I tried to go kill an axis deer this weekend with a buddy of mine, uh, and it did not go well. Hmm. Uh, we were not successful despite plenty of axis, uh, although they were spooky, spooky, spooky. So I had to take one shot with a herd of them a hundred yards in the brush. I had a maybe a six inch window to slip a bullet through at a, at a neck that was half covered by a limb. Hmm. Lots of excuses. Suffice it to say, didn't connect. Then might've squeezed one off at a, she wasn't running, but she wasn't standing still. <clears throat> that you didn't shot go very well. Running animal. You shot at a running animal. Good for you because you know what? That is a lost art, dude. Like th- there's well, articles. I, I, good for I didn't work out. Like I, well, that's okay. <laughs> the fact that you did it, everyone like there's so many people, and I'm not advocating taking an, an unethical shot, but it, in the beginning times when guns were invented, the goal was to put meat on the table, and people shot at animals just trying to get a bullet in them. We've yeah, evolved yeah, as, sure. a, as a society and as hunters since then, and you want to make an ethical shot. But there is an art to shooting at a running animal. I've killed an Axis buck running before. Make no qualms about it. Is that the one it. where you shot the leg off? No, you moron. That was a black buck. That was a black buck, yes. <laughs> um, and they hit him with a seven mag, so the leg just like disappeared. It was like, whoop, they want a leg. Um, he died very quickly when they bleed out from that. Anyway. That's a lost art. And there's tons of great articles you can read on, on shooting um, at running. And in, 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 in a lot of northern, like Pennsylvania, where they do deer drives and stuff like that, they shoot at running deer all the time. So, well, and that was actually what we were doing. Yeah. Um, we were on a very small property, and we were trying to get him out of the brush. And so my buddy pushed him my way, and it worked. And mm-hmm. uh, I had a narrow lane through the brush. And yeah, I, uh, sometimes you have to try to make it happen. I it's did. modern problem we've created for ourselves like the rest of the world still i mean they do wild boar drives in hungary and all over europe and game drives are still look we shoot at flying birds right so yeah it's true lose a lot of cripples uh, that way too mm. but anyway so uh failed pretty epically um saturday night and sunday morning and then this is not one of those times where i'm like cheering for my buddy because he failed i like for you to put meat in the freezer like when you say oh yeah Aunt Flo's in town. I'm kind of like, ah, <laughs> sucks for you. Right. But yeah, anyway. we're out of access meat. So literally all four of my kids as I was leaving were like, bring home access meat. It's oh, so great. Yeah. You let them down. Mm-hmm. Big time. Yeah. Dad fail. Epic dad fail. But, uh, and then, you know, to, as, a, as a nice little cap uh, on my epic fail, I went and shot at our uh, men's 
men's ministry uh, skeet and trap shoot yesterday afternoon mm-hmm. at the church and had the worst skeet round of my life with a single digit total of nine out of 25 clays. Um, wow. Dude. <laughs> I mean, I'm not great on skeet by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, I've shot 18, 19. I don't think I, I don't think I've ever hit 20, but I'm usually like a mid teens to high teens guy. Holy moly, dude. It was embarrassing. Dove season's right around the corner. Gotta get that sorted out. I know. Well, so there was a couple things. I was trying to shoot this little 20 gauge over and under um, that my in-laws gave us basically. And so I'm not real accustomed to shooting it. Uh, I got pretty hot last dove season with my Benelli, you know, automatic. Um, So fancy. Oh, it is a Monte Feltro. I mean, it's, it's the very the lowest model Benelli makes. Uh, it's like an eight hundred dollars shotgun. I mean, it's not cheap, but it's uh-huh. not. No, shotguns aren't cheap. So right. I mean, you know. Yeah. I, honestly, I, I wouldn't spend less than like five on a on a decent shotgun. Anyway, uh, and that thing will shoot. I mean, my great grandkids will shoot that shotgun. But um, I was feeling like I, sh- I, you know, I had my right chokes in for the over and under, and I got new contacts the other day. Uh, I hadn't <laughs> had been out for several months and it had gotten kind of all of a sudden to a point where I was having a hard time reading like exit signs on the highway and stuff. So I was like, eh, probably go get my eyes checked and get some new contacts. And so I had a slight change in the prescription been wearing the contacts. And I've, I've noticed for like a year or two that as my contact prescription gets stronger and it's all nearsightedness, right? Like I can read anything up close it's distance that I've always had the issue with, but I put these contacts in and I cannot focus up close. Like I'll go to look at my phone and it's like my eyes are crossed and it's like really hard to focus up close. Right. So I was finding as every time I would shoulder my shotgun on one of these clays, it's like, I couldn't see the barrel. Mm-hmm. It was like so blurred. All I could, I could see the pigeon clear as day, but I couldn't figure out where I like, I couldn't actually see down the rib, down the rail, you know, and down the side and see the bead like in the foreground all of that was too double or even like triple vision so uh, i'm thinking maybe i just need to shoot without them i don't know or maybe i'm just really rusty and not accustomed to that shot. i don't know I'm not I've as good as i like to think vision problems but i i have noticed as i'm getting older i just turned 40 this weekend that uh shooting my bow it's harder to see the pin the right pin it's like sometimes a little blurry especially low light yeah. condition so i might be uh right behind you on that contact front uh, the wife and I went to another great free state in our wonderful country for my birthday, though. She took me to Florida. We went to Palm Beach. And, you know, we have snook trophy. Uh, you know, it's like a sought-after bay fish. Yeah. But we don't have them where you're from, really. In the They're port- coming back. Yeah. Um, but to find a trophy when you get Pretty rare go, up in Corpus. you got to go down to South Padre. you got to go south. Or you can just go to Florida. I was like, I've always wanted to catch a snook, a big one. So... This uh, this guy that I've known for about ten years through relationship in the outdoor industry, he's a captain out of uh, the Palm Beach area, and we went and just I mean it was awesome. It was everything I wanted it to be. My wife caught a wall hanger forty four inch snook that I'm going to get a replica made for her. Really, it's for me. She caught it, but probably go in my <laughs> office. And uh, right. yeah, I was super proud of her. She casted it herself. The whole deal. Nice. She yeah. made her own hook. 
uh, now when you go with a guide and they're using line bait, they usually just they yeah. it's a, more like a you know efficiency operation. Nope, here's another one. Here's another yep. one. Sure. Yep. No, I got you. But uh, she did cast, set it. the hook, fought yep. the fish all the way. She in. has a bruise like right below her breast where she had that rod like stuck into her like under her chest <laughs> nice. from fighting the thing. Uh, and you know, of course, I'm just videoing it, giving her a hard time. And then I saw the size of a fish, and I was like, ah, that's bigger than anything I've caught. Um, yeah, that's a big fish, man. Yeah, it was cool, super cool. And they're like bass; they don't have teeth. You can just lip them, stick your thumb in there. Um, super cool. So we had a good trip. Um, Florida's a got the same mindset as we do. Yes, as evidenced by their governor's general take on policies. Yeah, so, I've decided it's up to the Gulf Coast to save, to save America, and Florida and Texas will be leading the way. Yeah, like like going to the California wine country never crossed my mind. Going to Seattle, no thank you. Portland, all that. Have no interest in going into those places. So we're like, well, we're going to go to the free state. <laughs> and yep. uh, yeah, made a good trip. So in anyway, a way, I think I've said before, freedom is inherently messy. It is. right. The problem with the left is that they would give up freedom for a polite, you know, open, you know, utopian society, right? But that they, well, they, well, the biggest problem with them is that they claim to be for freedom and then they want to take away all of your rights in order to uh, you know, weird, usher, usher in this. It's very confusing. But they, you can't, you know, if, if you're going to have a truly free society, there are going to be, can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs, right? Which mm-hmm. my point is, the florida man meme right yeah. you go to florida you're very likely to come across somebody in cut off jean shorts and a coffee stained wife beater who has a gator farm um where maybe some bodies have been disposed of but you're free you don't have to put a mask on so yeah yeah, yeah. um we've got a uh, a great show lined up for today with three special guests three american heroes in the form of Corporal Justin Rokol, Sergeant Bobby Crow, and Sergeant Jeff Rhodes, all of whom served in Afghanistan together. Why is that relevant? Obviously, if you're keeping up with the news, which if you're listening to the show, you are. We just withdrew from Afghanistan in horrible fashion. And now, and, and also, Justin lost both of his legs there. So... I think it's important to have a conversation with the men who actually put everything on the line to fight this two decade long war that we've now removed ourselves from and left what a crumbling society now, or, or um, a society that was there 20 years ago and is now right back where, where we started. It's like, was it worth it? Uh, I think that who better than who better than to get their thoughts than, than people that, that put it all on the line for that effort. hundred percent, man. Like I said, when you brought it up on the show last week, awesome. Good work. Um, can we pull back the curtain just slightly and admit that sure. we've technically already done the conversation and we're recording this as an intro to a conversation we've already had. Um, it was, it's a great talk. I look forward to everybody getting to hear it. Um, but yeah, what better, there's so many questions from the duration of the war to the fact that, you know, we we talked about it last week, but we didn't have the date, but it was May of 2011 mm-hmm. that we took out Osama bin Laden. So it had been a full decade and we were still there trying to, f- 
and no, nobody really knew why other than we were nation building in a society that's many thousands of years old and has never chosen to have a nation like the one we have. Right. Somehow we thought real quick, we were going to make them all liberal progressives. Um, to get a chance to talk to some guys who saw it over there firsthand, sacrificed quite literally uh, in doing so, uh, to hear their take on how they viewed it while they were there, and then certainly how they view it now, you know, even prior to, but now definitely given the, the withdrawal. Uh, it was better than you and I, a um, couple of college boys, <laughs> you know, ranting about it. Uh, Without any I think you. I think so. you amassed two degrees in the time it took me to get one. To be fair, I was lucky. I feel like blessed that I finally finished that effort. Sure, you should. Yeah. Got a degree in radio, TV, film. So here we are making podcast gold. And today the gold will be brought to you from those three guys. Let's, uh, without further ado, let's just roll it, man. Sounds good. So here you go. Our conversation with Sergeant Jeff Rhodes, Sergeant Bobby Crow, and Corporal Justin Rokol. Justin, Jeff, Bobby. Thank you guys so much for jumping on with us. Chisholm and I are, are certainly excited to uh, to have you join the show. Justin and I have a little bit of a history. He's been on my my other show previously. And Jeff, you know your profile picture here on Zoom. It looks like you're on some kind of offshore rig. And Bobby, if you're friends with these two guys, you probably love the outdoors as well. But did you guys meet over there while you were deployed, or or have these friendships been forged since returning? Uh, we were all together over there. We did uh, two deployments together, basically one to Iraq, and then we went. We were in Afghanistan in 2008, and we kind of went back in there. So then that's Justin speaking. So these guys were with you when you lost your legs? Uh, Jeff was. I think Crow was watching from the security of a file at the time. Okay. But okay. but Jeff was there. I was just making, making fun of Crow a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, and I always appreciate your self-deprecating humor, Justin. I mean, your Instagram profile is two feet in the grave. Um, so we appreciate that and your sacrifice. And I do believe um, Jeff and Bobby came out as uh, sergeants, your corporal. Um, and you did, y'all said you did two tours together? Yes, sir. Yes. Okay. So. I'm going to just turn it over to Chisholm here and, and let him ask the, the first question and, and really get this thing rolling in the right direction. You can turn it over to me? Yeah. Why not? Okay. Um, uh, let me just first start by saying, uh, as Cable already mentioned, how much we appreciate you guys' service, uh, sacrifice of time, and uh, a couple of limbs in at least one case. Um, Y'all are obviously heroes. Um. For the just so y'all know where I'm coming from, my dad was a Marine, my mom's dad was a Marine, and dad's dad was a double silver star recipient in World War II. So, um, I didn't serve, oh, yeah. but yeah, I was as y'all can probably, all three of you guys are Marines, yes, sir, yes, sir. right? Yeah, yes, so sir. I was raised by a couple of, of your, your kind, and so uh, I tend to find I see the world pretty similarly to y'all, even though I didn't serve myself. So Chisholm's told me off the record he feels guilty at some sometimes for having yeah. his family legacy of Marines, and and he did not serve. So yeah. Well, growing up with that many in your family, it's kind of like you did. My old man told me one time he's like, <laughs> "That's a hell of a childhood." <laughs> my old man told me one time he's like, "Ah, you got the discipline you needed. You didn't need to join." So um, <laughs> oh, I'm how many times did he bounce a quarter off your bed? 
you know that that <laughs> that was something he must have left in the core, man. He, he's uh, he's um, dad's more of a workaround guy than a uh, than a uh, everything neat and tidy all the time kind of guy, right? Bu- uh, yep. Bubble bubble gum and bailing wires is, is his approach, which I think is probably the other side of what you guys learned in that <clears throat> in that branch, right? Yep. But um, I wanted to ask, I guess first, when did you guys all get out? Um, how long have you guys been back in civilian life? 2008 is pretty much when that's when I got, that's when you uh, got hurt injured. Yeah. And yeah. then I did like a year and a half in the hospital, but it wasn't like the real Marine Corps. Right. Um, I got out in 2009. So, you know, not too long after that second deployment, which was to Afghanistan, right. uh, got back, and did the rest of my time and got out. Got out. I mean, 2013. Okay. So Bobby stuck around a little longer. Yeah. Yeah, I was young and dumb. <laughs> it's getting that bonus. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, I, I don't know if you guys uh, have ever listened or anything, but we talked a little bit about what's going on last week uh, in our episode last week. And, you know, I, I took the approach. I want to I want to understand, and certainly from from y'all's perspective, y- y'all's thoughts. Looking back on it, you know, to me, w- the way it was always presented to the public was we went into Afghanistan to get Osama bin Laden, primarily, right? And we did that like a decade ago. And then we spent another. I think it's been I think it's been over. I can't remember what year that was, but like 2010, 2011, maybe yeah, somewhere, somewhere in there. Somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. 2011, I think. Yeah, and, and I mean, I guess we've been, I want to make sure, again, you guys understand that, you know, from my perspective, I can support our servicemen and women, um, but as a citizen question, the, the, the dedication of manpower, lives, and resources to a cause like this, right? If we were there to get Osama, we spent like the last decade in there after that, I guess, how do y'all feel that that would contribute, that decade contributed to security here at home, to, um, what, what was even, the, I guess, the primary mission at that point? You guys were in there, it sounds like, when we were still looking for Osama, so so maybe there's a little bit of a kind of a disconnect, because y'all didn't, I guess, other than Bobby, serve after that in Afghanistan, but what would y'all say that sort of the, the mission going forward from that point was, and was it served uh, as of our withdrawal, which is now not quite a withdrawal? Jeff, Bobby? Um, I mean, I, I would say, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. Our initial mission was to go and get Osama bin Laden, you know, uh, for the purpose of, you know, defending America, right? Defending freedom, killing the bad guys. Uh, after that mission was accomplished, you know, that's where the term world police comes from, right? I mean, we, we stayed there just like we stayed in Iraq. We're, you know, became the world police and, you know, half the, half the world wants us there, the other half doesn't. But, you know, it, it, it comes down to the safety and security of the country itself. I mean, we stayed there to, you know, hold down the fort, if you will, because um, I think most of everybody knew that if we, okay, we killed Osama bin Laden, time to leave, and left, it was just going to turn into what it just turned into in the last couple of weeks. So, I mean, I, I think those last, that last decade has just been being a, a police force and training and, you know, creating an army, military, and police force for the country. Jeff, I have a question for you. What was the Afghani 
what was the people, the general population, what was their reception of you guys leading up to and then post the killing of bin Laden? Um, I mean, I, I can speak to the time that we were there. Um, the AO that we went to, uh, as I'm sure Justin's covered in the past, but you know, where we went, we went to an area where no one else wanted to go. And when I say no one else, I mean, other NATO forces for the most part, uh, they had been in there and they weren't really on the winning side. So, you know, our unit went back in there and they, they broke us up and sent us out into small fobs out in different AOs that other NATO forces didn't want to fight in. So a lot of locals and a lot of faces, a lot of people that we met didn't have necessarily a huge relationship with u.s troops or u.s forces hmm. um for the most part i would say a lot of them were happy to see us i mean they were happy they were intrigued there was an interesting you know um relationship with a lot of the a lot of the small villages now when you got into some of the bigger cities that had seen u.s troops and had nato forces and kind of been involved in uh the conflict side of things for years yeah there was definitely some disdain towards us some you know dislike uh but a lot of it was just what area and what size village, you know, what, what type of population you're talking about, how they felt towards this. But I mean, after we left, I'm not really sure. Yeah. And, and, and so Bobby, when did you actually leave? I know you said you got out in 13, but how long were you actually deployed or did you come so, home around the same time so, as these guys? Yeah, we all came home together. Okay. I never deployed back to Afghanistan again after that. Uh, okay. Actual real deployment after that. Um, I spent my last four years, stateside pretty much yeah what was what was the reception of the women because that's a big thing like that you're seeing right now in the news is how these women are being treated by the taliban once um you know once we decided we're leaving were they appreciative or did they feel empowered and emboldened to come out in public you know uh, i i feel like the only way to understand that would be to get y'all's perception of of how they felt about us being there I know during our time there, we, we saw women. Yes, we saw you know children, obviously, also. I wouldn't say we had much of interaction with the women. Um, a lot of that is, you know, we had training before we got there. And the training tells you, hey, you know, this is what their culture is. Respect it. And don't interact with the women unless, you know, they interact with you first. Um, so we didn't, there was really no interaction with them. We'd see them out maybe in the markets a little bit here and there or in the villages, but it's, it, where we were, there were small villages, you know, a lot more, uh, not as westernized. So, you know, we didn't see a lot of it. You know, those, a lot of what you guys see on the news is in the bigger cities where there's a little more westernization and, you know, a little more of the freedoms that were given to those women and the, the people of Afghanistan. Where we were at was small village, you know, uh, outskirts type stuff. Okay. You would call it like Bible Belt of Afghanistan. There you go. Okay. Grand Belt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, grand belt. <laughs> I I wanted to add something on on our mission. Uh, one of the things that surprised me when we got there is nonchalantly guarding poppy fields. It was it was really weird. You didn't expect that. I remember getting there thinking, "Why don't we just burn all this down?" You know, this seems like a good idea. And it's a lot of money, bro. No, big no no. And then you see these black SUVs going out there, like shit's up, you know. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Chisholm brought that up on last week's show about the poppy fields that Afghanistan is the number one producer of poppy. Like 90%, like 90% of opiates are produced out of those poppy fields, man. In the whole world. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And from little kids to old ladies, they're all doing it. I mean, we, we see them walk around with like a Copenhagen can and they just rip that stuff out and throw it in the mouth. Wow. Like, really? Teeth rotted out. Oh, yeah. Yep. yeah they're all pretty. The, when we first went over there, they said we were going to be training like Afghan army. And I mean, Jeff and Co can tell to this. It, you might, out of 12, 13, 15 guys, you might get two or three that aren't on drugs or just a, uh, a total, uh, so we're looking for liability out there yeah. you know out of the guys that you're supposed to be training drugs. yes yeah yeah training yeah wow yeah yeah they were horrible i mean anybody that didn't see the taliban taking that place over or at least our the army we were training not folding in what 10 days or whatever it was is lying to themselves because i i never saw a group of four that could have could have hung with like u.n nato forces you know really no yeah, but that, but that might just be me. Like that's why I brought Jeff and Crow on here. I got jacked up like halfway through, so they they <laughs> saw and did a lot of stuff that that I wasn't around for, you know. But might have uh, might have given you a different perspective on things too, I guess, right? Yeah, and I hold a little grudge. So uh, right, yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah, that's Man, interesting you know, though that you say that you were there guarding poppy fields from essentially the time you got there, huh? Oh yeah. Yeah, the whole place is full. I mean, we we knew we were going to see some poppy and stuff, but I never imagined it would be like that. Where it's like cru cruising around South Texas, where you got cornfields, cotton fields, grain fields. Just imagine all that marijuana and poppy. Wow. Are you from South Texas, Justin? Yes, sir. What you part? Know, uh, both of them are are living in Laredo, and I'm out of Orange Grove, Texas. No shit, Orange Grove. I grew up in Portland. Yes, sir. I've been dancing oh, at the. I don't know how many times I've been to a country western dance at the Rifle Club. That's cool. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Everyone right. knows about the Rifle Club. Yep. Yeah. And I hunt down 30 miles from Laredo. So, uh, Good yeah. Time. I guess that makes us all neighbors. Yes, sir. Yeah. So, hey. go ahead. Sorry. All right. Well, so the black SUVs, like best guess, like, I mean, obviously we can draw our own conclusions here, but I mean, were those U.S. vehicles? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The okay. freaking standard issue armored up Tahoe. So these are, <laughs> so this is where it gets a little like more interesting. Okay. So we're here for quotation marks, Osama bin Laden, but why are we guarding these poppy fields? So yeah, and it definitely wasn't to train the Afghan military. I mean, that was obvious once we got there, that, that was a no win situation. So yeah. I don't know. It's just something I think about all the time, you know, and you're starting to hear more people talk about it, but you know, I've, in, in Iraq, we saw black SUVs all the time, contractors and stuff going up and down the road. But it's just weird when you see them pull up to like a poppy field, you know. And and obviously, you know, and we're not allowed to touch the poppy fields, even though we know that that's that's how the Taliban, everybody's getting the money down there. I mean, yeah. Jeff and Bobby, what's y'all's perspective on that? There was one time we took, I don't know how many pounds it was, just straight black tar heroin, and. We got yelled at and had to take it back. Take it back took, to who? Yeah, took it from who? Back from the village we took it from. It was wow. just like confiscated in a raid, that kind of thing, or yeah, yeah. We were just yeah. searching the place and oh man, look at this heroin. Take it back, thinking we're doing something good, and then get yelled at and have to take it back. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. You'd have thought that you it would have just been like something was just burned. Like, oh, we got to get rid of this. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's what we thought too. Unbelievable. That's eye opening, Chisholm. Yeah, again, <laughs> I, I appreciate y'all bringing this up because, like Cable said, we touched on it last week. But just to reiterate, yeah. we're, we we want to have a, a real conversation about what what we're doing abroad, and you know, not that maybe this was a primary reason, but it's definitely interesting, right? That that yeah. was such a priority, and, and you know. I remember, and I've talked about this on the show, dude, it was like six months, maybe a year after we invaded Afghanistan, I saw an article and it was in like the New York times about how Afghanistan has the, like some of the largest deposits of rare earth minerals on the planet, like the, like lithium for making all these batteries and and all kinds of stuff, right? Like this wealth of these super rare minerals that are necessary for high technology and stuff. And then you look back and you realize, you know, the Russians were trying to get their hands on Afghanistan in the eighties. Um, we, we, we funded Osama bin Laden to help fight back against them. Right. And that yep. kind of came back to bite us Yep. decade and a half later. And <clears throat> yeah, I don't even know where to go with it. I appreciate y'all being honest about that. And it just, we're funding the Taliban now with all the weapons. Yeah, dude. I mean, they got two oh, Apaches, man. right? Like, how bad do you guys think that him? is that they have that technology now? Hey, did y'all see him hold the flag up like Iwo Jima? Yeah, oh, yeah. just that's, yeah. just made me cringe. Yeah, made me think oh, of I you mean, guys. Like, uh, what the? Hmm. Yeah, it makes you think somebody's Dang. watching this in a drone. It can just certainly <laughs> not. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and what? I mean, with with them having all that technology, I mean, you know, uh, Justin and and Crow can agree here. I mean. You know, one of our big advantages in a country like that is is our ability to fight at night. Well, guess what? Now yeah. they can see at night too. I mean, now they have everything yeah, yeah. that we have, and and then to top it off, uh, you know, as these guys remember, you know, you get in a firefight. Well, there's red tracers and green tracers. Well, guess what? Now everybody's shooting the same tracers. <laughs> so who's the bad guy and who's the good guy? Yeah, and it's just piles of thermals and night vision. Yeah, goggles. I mean, how does that get Black botched? Ox. How does Dude, it watch to that degree where, you know, yeah. you say you're going to pull out and, and Chisholm and I both came to the conclusion, like we need to probably get out of there at some point, like 20 yeah. years is too long of a time. Yeah. But, um, I mean, Trump was kind of moving towards that direction. Basically we've had four presidents. All of them could be held responsible to, you know, to some degree on how this has been botched, but how do you not have some kind of plan where it's like, we got to get all of our shit out of here to a safe yeah. place before we actually say, okay, now we're leaving. Like how, I don't understand how you screw it up that bad. Yep. Like that. And anyone that thinks it wasn't going to fall is lying to themselves. Everyone knew, everyone knew the second we were pulling out or pulled out, it was, it was all over. And yeah. Well, to Cable's point, that's why Trump didn't do it. Cause I, I think it was either last summer or the summer of 2019. He, like he does right. He just said something. He was like, we're going to pull out of Afghanistan. I think in like, dude, it was like a month or two that he was calling. And then the Joint Chiefs were like, no, bro, we can't do that. You know, and he backed off of it and said, we can't because it'll, like you're saying, that he knew because yeah. he yeah. was told what would happen, you know? I- oh, yeah. They're like, like Justin said earlier, the troops we were training, those guys didn't stand a chance. I mean, we could have stayed no. there for another 20 years and it still would have ended up the same way. It's just 
you know, we're going to withdraw. We need to get out of there. Sure. I agree, but it should have been baby steps and, and definitely way, way more planning as far as getting our equipment out of there, our equipment and our people. Yeah. Yeah. There's still people there. I mean, yeah, go ahead. We built these little outposts, uh, like as an outer cordon for our little fob and, uh, for all. And when we were, I'm, I can't remember if Jeff and Crow were on this, but I remember one of the times we were taking guys out there, he just, both of them just started crying and saying, you know, the Taliban were going to cut their heads off that night. And we are like, hey, you know, this is this is your job. You got to stay here. And we gave them a radio and everything. And we built this little structure for them and stuff. And uh, we took off and they were like, like stray dogs following you home. I mean, like 100, 200 yards behind us. They're just trail of tears in it behind us, you know. And it's. There's no willpower over there to, to fight the Taliban, at least. It's kind of weird because they beat Alexander the Great, Genghis Khan, Soviet Union, us, but they just let the Taliban take over in, in 10 days. You know, So it's what they want. They, they, they like it. For whatever reason, Sharia law just... just so that's pretty telling them. right there, that comment. It's what they want. So, yes, so really, we, we kind of forced our Western civilization and ideology on these people, and they're like... We don't really care for that. Yeah. On 7th century freaking nomads that, I mean, I don't even want to say this all air, but the truth is a lot of them are, are, are marrying and having kids with their cousins, you know, and it's, it's just generational of them doing that. And the education system is basically non-existent, you know, and we're just, we're dealing with people that never understand us and we're never going to understand them. I mean, that was, us at some point but it's you know it's them right now well, and, another thing i think is alarming is now obviously russia and china again licking their chops um i saw that the taliban leaders already have met with chinese officials so you don't think that that technology is also going to get into the hands of our of the our biggest threats you know afghanistan is not our biggest threat china is and now they're going to be yeah. like, oh, cool. Let us check out those thermals and those Apaches and whatever else, whatever other technology the Americans left behind. Let's get our hands on that. Yeah. And that's and concerning. That drone. Yeah. Very concerning. Yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. Did y'all hear Biden? I think it was last night. He's like, uh, y'all think Russia and China are, are happy we got out? You know, like, of course they are. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they're really happy, but he's, he's acting like they're not at, you know, they wanted to keep us there, but, but you can tell right now that they're, they're tickled to death about it. He's very confused about just about everything these days. It seems. Yeah. Wow. yeah. I, man. Okay. So <laughs> to me, what we're touching on here, and that was one of the things we talked about last week is this idea that Again, we had a very specific mission and we accomplished that mission a long damn time ago. And ever since then, my impression of what we've been doing is something like nation building, right? We, we helped install a democratic government, tried to train up a military and had to basically, God, forgive me for the way I'm going to phrase it, but babysit it for a decade, right? And, and y'all are pointing out, and it's, it's my belief too, how do you change the entire culture of an ancient society in a decade or two? You can't, right? I mean, you, Don't. you'd have to legitimately say, we're going to spend four generations here to teach these people how to be Westerners. And is that even, is that really even a worthwhile objective in y'all's minds in retrospect? Not I. No. Yeah. No, I mean, 
I mean, those, like Justin said, I mean, they, that's their life. That's the way they live. That's how they know how to live. And that's the way they want to live. I mean, yeah. Is there a popular, is there a percentage of that population, especially towards the bigger cities that would love to be more Westernized and have a little more of our lifestyle? Yes, there is for sure. But then you're dealing with what, I don't know. I don't know the percentages, but however much percentage of that country is small villages. Those people don't want to be Westernized. They like the way they live. Yep. I live in a small hill country town and I don't know that I always want to be totally westernized either. The direction that the <laughs> West seems to be going at the moment. That's a good and, point. Yeah, I mean, you know, a, a culture and a society with like no rules and no God, you know, we have different yeah. rules and, and a, you know, technically the same God, but a different way of going about <laughs> talking to him, obviously, right? But anyway. Yeah. Um, one of the things Our values are different, right? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. You know, um, one of the things I, I has come, I, I've sort of seen recently, y'all are talking about. I've heard a lot of people talking about the valor and uh and bravery of some of those Afghan soldiers. I'm sure that there were you guys, I'm sure y'all came across some of that, but from what y'all are saying, most of what y'all saw was you know, uh, a group of people who weren't going to be up for the fight when it came their time. But I also have heard some about, again, this idea of changing the culture, you know, like friendly fire incidents, right? Like attacks from within the ranks of the Afghan yeah. military against our, oh, yeah. our guys. Did y'all see, have any, you know, direct firsthand experience with anything like that? Yes. Really? <laughs> Several times when we were training those guys, you know, they'd come back in on a night patrol or they'd leave on a patrol they weren't supposed to be on. And all of a sudden our post was getting shot at or, you know, crazy stuff, grenade, you know, explosions going off. And it's like, well, what's going on? And, and those guys were either attacking each other or trying to shoot back at us to see if we were going to fight them. I mean, it was all kinds of stuff going on inside their ranks. And, you know, on the valor part of it, I, I, I'll be honest, I never saw any, you know, superheroes or any type of, valor among their troops while we were there i mean that was 2008 right so I mean, maybe in the last decade they got yeah. some guys in there but i mean i i will say and, and i think crow can probably back me up on this and maybe justin too but we did have you know there was one or two terps here and there are interpreters you know i definitely had a terp that was in my truck with me and he was loading our rifles and loading magazines and you know firing back at the bad guys while we were there in the middle of a firefight so i mean i didn't see that among their their army but their interpreters i saw it yeah those guys I, sound I like terps. go ahead go ahead no no, no. I, I would I, say interpreters and then from what i'm i like i said i never saw any of this but from what i'm hearing from some sf guys some special forces guys is their elite commandos were were pretty good but they're also dealing with the top top percentile right. of right. of the afghan army the guys we were dealing with i never saw anyone that would have been competent to take out in just in a regular, you know, Marine Corps squad, you know, not, not, not a hero. I never saw anybody that was average, you know, uh, it's just the willpower wasn't there. They, they weren't, they didn't know there was no, I'm going to be on time today. You know, uh, it was more of show up, come up with some excuses. You're talking about like the and, most basic expectations. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Did y'all see the video of them trying to do jumping jacks? That explains the whole situation. <laughs> I haven't, but that right there is, oh, I mean, the guy spends like five minutes trying to teach this guy to do a jumping jack and it's not come, going through at all. And one guy's doing real bad, but the other 12 are doing horrible as well. You know, I mean, 
Uh, you have to you have to wonder if it has something to do with that those cousin and sibling marriages you touched on a minute ago. Oh, that's yeah. probably a totally un PC thing to say, but we do a lot of that here. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're collecting a paycheck. Hmm. Uh, Bobby, I have a question for you. And uh, we talked a lot about Chisholm brought to the forefront the idea of the American industrial military complex last week. Like somebody's got to be dropping bombs for Raytheon to be making money. And, you know, war seems to be good for business. I, it, you know, in, in like World War II, it was great for the economy. I mean, the entire country benefited from going to that war. This doesn't seem to, this seems like a money pit for the citizen is like the opposite effect. Um, do you think that's part of the reason why we stay there so long is just from the financial aspect of, hey, we've got to have somebody to drop these bombs off on that we're making over here? Yes. Um, and like you said, there's just so much money was spent. And Grants were given to these companies to make the bombs. So it's like we've already bought them. What do we do with them now? Yeah. You know. And we don't want our budget to decrease. So yeah, you know, and that, we see that in the oil and gas industry that, that we're in. You know, you get towards the end of the year and spend it. You know, they want to spend that money because they're going to lose it next year. Yep. I went to work uh, for the TCEQ, our environmental. Uh, agency here in Texas back in like 2008 for a couple of years. And the night that I got contacted or the afternoon I got contacted with a job offer, the guy who was hiring me, you know, tells me, Hey, we'd like to hire you for this air quality position. And I was like, great. We were living in Portland. Um, and my wife, I think was like six months pregnant with our first kid. Uh, you know, we were just settling kind of in and I was talking about up and moving us to Austin. And my folks are there. Her folks are there. So my wife was pretty worked up about the concept and i was like can i you know can i get with you tomorrow let me sleep on it let me talk to my wife which is a pretty standard response to a job offer when you have a job right like yeah. just give me a night to talk yeah. over with the family you know and he goes no if you don't uh take the job by five i'm gonna go down to the next person on the list and i was like damn i guess not much about me right well once i got to work for the agency turns out that there's this statute on the books here in Texas, they call it sweeping, but any agency in the state that loses a position has 120 days to so four months to fill that position or by statute, by law, it just, they lose the funding. So the guy I went to work for, who obviously I got to know over the next couple of years, pieced this all together. He just sat on it. Didn't have any need for me. He'd sat on it for 119 days and he'd hit his deadline. <laughs> and if I didn't take the job by five, he was going to lose the position. So he hires me. And I literally walk into a vacuum. I spent five or six months speaking of government waste with nothing to do. And I mean, nothing, nothing. Like I went in there, honestly, like a, you know, a liberal progressive. And I came out of 18 months of working for the government, a conservative person, because I realized what a dumpster fire, you know, what I really realized is there's no profit motive yeah. in government, right? None. There's yeah. profit motive for all the contractors that are getting paid by the government, right? Uh, on that idea of how much we spent over there, Cable, I, I found this after uh, our talk last week. Guys, I'll be interested to know if you all are aware. But in 20 years there, in Afghanistan in particular, apparently we spent an average over 
20 years of $300 million a day. Isn't that incredible, dude? Yeah. Well, I know it wasn't on gear. Right. Yeah. You guys couldn't get, y'all couldn't get armor plating for a Humvee back in the day. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I what mean, was it on? Yeah. We, we had to, uh, we had to get these helmet inserts, you know, it was, it wasn't that expensive. But I think they were like 70 bucks a pop, something like that. And one of the guys in our platoon had to do, his mom did like a drive back home to, to get us these helmet inserts for our Kevlar's, you know, just. That's awesome. Thank some, you, Herb. Some of that Thank 300 million could have. Oh yeah, for sure. But you would think million. 300 million a day, we could get some helmet inserts. You know, yeah. and then, and then on the flip side, uh, Jeff, I see you in your photograph there. You've got a, it looks like a black rifle coffee hat on, which is my favorite coffee. And I'm happy to support that group because they support you guys. But I had some this morning. Evan Hafer, who founded that outfit, uh, who was special forces, went on the Joe Rogan podcast and explained how he was able to buy a, he was able to get mm. into the budget and buy like a $70,000 espresso maker. Yeah. From the I government dime. I mean, he, you know, he's pointing it out like this is the kind of waste we're talking about. You guys can't get gear for your helmets, and he's able to figure out how to buy a $70,000 special maker. Holy moly, yeah. man. Yeah. So, hey, he's a nice guy, though. What's that? He's a nice guy, though. No, I, he's awesome, dude. I, yeah, I, yeah. I'm not. I'm, sure. He was making a point, right? Like, oh, yeah. It, it, oh, hell, yeah. If you could do it, do it, right? But um, yeah. yeah, I'm not, it's not, not at all attacking Evan. He's out there fighting oh, no, a good, good fight every day. Right. Yeah. Justin has I, actually I, done some stuff thing. with them. What did, what, what did you go do? Did you go to Utah or something? No, it was in a, a Bernie. They had a, um, it was at the black rifle ranch, but they had a, like an adaptive bow, uh, archery tournament, like those 3d yeah. shoots they do around Texas a bunch, but it was, mm -hmm. uh, most, mostly amputees, burn victims and stuff like that. But my buddy Crispy invited me out there and, uh, Shoot, it was a it was a great time. I mean, I got to meet Matt and Evan. Goldberg was out there, there. Hoist Gracie, uh, oh, wow. a bunch of guys. Actually, shot with Hoist Gracie a little bit. That was kind of cool. That is cool. You know, I saw all that yeah, like yeah. after it happened. I wish I would have. It would have been on my radar beforehand because I just I live over in Boulder, right down from Bernie. So, so Chiz and I have this running conversation on the show. But you you mentioned Hoist Gracie, one of the greatest UFC fighters of all time. I'm on record as saying that I could whip the ass of the, okay, you take the, the lightest division in women's UFC and you take the bottom rung of that division. So I don't know, a hundred pound woman that's like fighting for a chance to stay in UFC. It's a I'm on record as saying I could beat her ass in a fight. I would choke her out. I weigh 210 <laughs> pounds. Chisholm says, no way. I don't have any, any formal training, but I'm just like, I weigh a hundred pounds more than this woman. If I get my hands on her, I'm gonna crush her. What do you? My, I want to know your take, cable. Justin. Cable. Oh. We're talking about a woman who's been trained in Brazil Brazilian jiu-jitsu, who's We're a not black talking belt. About the best. <laughs> Jeff, what are your thoughts? Though. Come on. I don't know, man. I think, I think you. I think. I think you got her. And and Bobby. I don't know, man. Even the bottom tier in UFC is pretty badass. So we at least she's, if she's a UFC fighter, she is a badass. Yeah, we at least in. have Barely. two <laughs> other chauvinists on here with us, so that's good to know. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think you got her, man, but I think you're gonna take some licks. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. I think. Yeah, I, yeah. I think. I, mean, I think you're gonna. Your eyes are gonna be this big around when you see how fast she moves, and the first kick that sweeps right past <laughs> your nose. You're like, whoa. 
Which one of y'all just hit me? <laughs> my, my, my take on it has always been the whole point of jujitsu is to allow the lighter, smaller person to have a competitive advantage against a bigger person who doesn't have those techniques and that knowledge. And, you know, that's how Hoist Gracie became a household name, right? That dude weighed 100 and, you know, back then they didn't even have weight divisions when he fought one of those first few, few UFCs. I think he weighed like 170 and he was going up against like Tank, Tank Abbott and those guys at 240, yeah. right? Who could knock yeah. you through a wall. So that, that's the my, thing about it my is take, rules. but I get it. You can't like punch in the crotch. So they have certain, they can't scratch. You can't, they can't use what I think would be beneficial to them in a fight well, against a man. I think a, a big question for you there, man, is, is when was the last time you took a punch? Because I know saying. it's been a long time since I took a punch. I don't know how yeah. I'm going to react to getting punched nowadays. <laughs> saying, man, like he could listen. First of all, <clears throat> he'd have to hit her. And I have a feeling that, like you said, Bobby, the lightest, uh, the lowest ranked gal in the lightest division is going to move like a freaking ninja. Right. Mm-hmm. So if if cable can clock her on the chin he can probably knock her out he's he benches like 330 pounds right i'm not going for the knockout i'm going for get my paws on her and just choke her dude that's what i'm saying she knows leverage she knows leverage she knows positioning even if you wrap her up tackle her you know with like a a double leg takedown right before you know it she's going to be on your back and choking you out just because she knows how to move and she's probably wrestling with ufc men Right. But anyway, this stemmed yeah. from the whole, I mean, you all guys right. are well aware of all these women that are, or the dudes that are now playing in women's sports, calling themselves girls, you know, but they still have a pecker oh, yeah. and they're like, oh, hey, let me sign up to do yeah. powerlifting in the Olympics, that type of shit. So that's how yeah. we got onto this conversation anyway, initially was this woke idea of boys playing with girls, you know, and, and, and it's so anti-feminist all the, and, and that that's the ironic thing we always talk about is like all these feminists are like. Yes, let the boys play with the girls. Well, that's actually flies in the face of what you say you are. So, you know, that I would like piss to- me off. I don't even, I don't have kids, but if I had a daughter that trained, you know, lights out for something, and then she got beat by some dude, dude with a mustache, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that'd just be the worst. You know, how is that not anti-feminist? That's okay. It's dude. a party of science, Justin. Yeah. 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 My bad. Um. I want to ask you each, like looking back on your time in Afghanistan, was it worth it? And um, Bobby, we'll start with you and we'll just work up to Jeff and then Justin. Justin, I mean, obviously Justin lost his leg, so um, he might have a different perspective. I don't know. But generally speaking, Bobby, was the time that you spent there, the sacrifices you and your comrades made, was it worth it in the long run? I'd say no. At the time, you feel like you're doing something good and right, but you know, looking back at it now, it's what was that for? We accomplished nothing. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's my thought. Mm-hmm. Jeff, um, on my side, I mean, I, I guess there's two ways to look at it. You know, while we were there, uh, 100%, I thought it was worth it. I mean, you know, we, we were there at that time, still fighting the bad guys, in, in my mind. And I think in a lot of our minds, you know, that's where we were at back then. Um, and, and, you know, obviously you're fighting for the guy to the left and right of you. But, you know, yeah, you, you thought you were there doing the right thing. Now, like Crow said, you know, looking back at it, um, I mean, was it really all worth it? I don't know. I mean, it, it's definitely turned, you know, the last decade, it definitely turned into something else over there. So, I mean, I don't want to say it's not worth it, but 
did we make a big difference? No. Hmm. Justin? It, it, it's hard to answer that one because, <clears throat> one, we both we all lost great friends over there. Uh, I lost my best friend over there, not while we were there, but he joined the Marine Corps right about the time I got jacked up. And uh, he ended up over there in 2010, and he got killed by a sniper. Uh, he was a dog handler. Uh, and I, I don't know. I like to think that we, we weren't over there. The whole mission, you know, training the Afghan army and trying to bring democracy to uh, an ancient world, I never bought into that. And I don't think anybody really bought into that. I mean, uh, I like to think we were, you know, and this might be just my trying to keep it half full because I did lose my legs you know, over there. But I like to think that we were keeping terrorism tamped down a little bit. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It, it's, a, it's a hard question. To, I don't regret it, you know, if 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 our country's Definitely at not. war and I'm in the opportunity to, to help out, you know, is one of those things. When I'm sure they felt the same way. When, when 9-11 happened, I didn't care if they would have said, we're going to war with freaking, you know, we're going to take it back to Germany, you know, number three. I mean, I, I didn't care who it was. I just, you yeah. know, I knew that I wanted to uh, to – to serve and whoever whatever target they threw out there was good enough for me you know and not trying to see badass it's just that was the rage that i, I felt when when 9 11 happened you know and it's a hard it's a hard deal the pullout def, definitely kind of tampers it even worse because now they're they're more powerful than, than when we went in there the first time and that that's uh, and probably harboring more resentment than yeah. they did previously oh, yeah. after 20 years of of uh us occupying their country i will say this though as a, an american citizen we didn't have another terrorist attack while you guys were over there doing that so no. yeah i think that that's always a good point so, um even if you guys all say no it wasn't worth it as the casual american citizen who's enjoyed the, the benefits of not having to worry about those terrorist attacks i mean um certainly keeping the taliban at bay uh, as far as just from a a lack of ha living in a fearful mindset, unlike we've been doing the last two years uh, because of COVID. But, uh, you know, it, maybe that's a luxury that we enjoyed because of y'all's effort over there. So, well, so yeah, it, go ahead. Jay. Sorry. Oh, I was saying, you know, and, and a big thing about that is it definitely sent the message, you know, I mean, uh, you know, you want to come attack us, guess what? We're going to come invade you. I mean, so, I mean, it definitely sent yeah. a message to everybody that we weren't just going to sit by and let it happen. Yeah. We, we did wreck a lot of shit for 20 years. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but I, I saw that in a movie one time. They're asking, uh, what is, it, it was some of the CIA or something like that. It was like, what's your job when something bad happens to the U.S.? And he said, to drastically overreact. And I think <laughs> we did that pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. Do you guys ever listen to Ben Shapiro at all? Yeah. So he talk. he says all the time how two things can be true at once, right? You guys should be damn proud of your service, regardless of the cause and how it turned out last week. Right. I'm damn proud of your service. And I know cable is too, with all of my questions and, uh, you know, objections, I guess, to some of these side hustle missions and, you know, purposes that, that we were being, that we were there for, you know, I think cable and I would both agree that, Y'all's time would have been better spent securing our own borders and protecting our country from the inside. But at the same time, 
if that's where the terrorists are being trained and groomed and all that stuff, it's kind of like you have to have an outpost out there. Right. So it's none of this is just a super straightforward. I think we definitely all can agree. It's pretty blatantly obvious that the way they went about pulling out is a joke. And honestly just makes me wonder, was, is that just by design? Are y'all just like leaving a situation that you'll have to come back and clean up later and spend more money on it? Just, it's hard to not go there. You know, could it not be with all the stuff we left there? I just basically yeah, gave it to him. You yeah. almost hope it is, and it's not just the biggest incompetence of all time. <laughs> Competence, yes. You're hoping yeah. there's some plan behind there. You know, right? Maybe we're going to get everybody out and just nuke them out of Kabul. You know, <laughs> and we, all right. You know, yeah. that makes sense, yeah. but I doubt we'll do it. Mm. You know? So, mm. Cable touched on this. We talked about it last week. I. I it does seem we, 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 we can't argue there were no terrorist attacks on American soil by folks from over there. There were some, but they tended to be, you know, they were Americans that had been radicalized and had never gone anywhere. Right. Like the Miami shooting and the I think San Bernardino deal. But do y'all do y'all have do y'all think or have any concerns that to Cable's point, a two decade occupation, again, considering the fact y'all were dealing with friendly fire while we were there. Did we maybe just kick the terrorism can down the road a bit? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There's part of me. That's not over. Right. Well, and, and, and part of the problem to me is it never will be, right? It's the okay. same with this, with this virus situation. Life has tremendous risk. And at the end of the day, none of us can escape death, period, end of story, right? It is a fundamental part of existence and you know whether it's a car accident all of us are greater risk from getting in a car accident and dying this afternoon than we are from dying from the virus or from a terrorist attack for that matter right i just wonder like you know you again you go back to the fact that we financed and created osama and you know his team and it came back to bite us in the ass now we go back over there and we leave all this gear behind and you know I don't know, man. Essentially, I, I, do the same thing. Right. Yeah. It's, exactly. How is this not going to end up with a similar outcome? Maybe there's not a specific. Yeah. I mean, that's the worst, right? Because it was this specific guy that we had specifically funded and all that. You know, but to me, it's like all those arms, all those, you know, years of seeing, you know, drone strikes and doors getting kicked in. I mean, how many nine year old kids are now susceptible to being, you know, groomed to hate us? And, and want to take revenge, right? And it's it's part of and their. Now they sort of, got a winning story. Yeah, you know. Yeah, they're empowered by it. Okay. And, yep. Well, yeah. guys, I gotta I gotta yeah. get off here. I gotta get out of here, out of my truck. Okay. Well, hey, Bobby, thanks yeah. again for your get, service. Get we appreciate at work. <laughs> yeah. Duty appreciate calls, it, Bobby. Yeah. Uh, appreciate it, guys. Y'all have a good one. Okay, you too. Later, Bob. So I was yeah, looking I, it up. Go ahead, Gable. Go, no, go ahead. Uh, just We were talking about when exactly we got uh, Bin Laden. It was May 2nd, 2011. So it has been a full decade and a, hand, a couple of months since the original objective was, uh, was dealt with. And of course, he wasn't even freaking in Afghanistan. But again, I guess we had a base of operation to go over into Pakistan. But anyway. Um, yeah. But does it really change you anything? Gotta- like, so we killed him. So now we're just going to pull out immediately? I mean. I mean, it's just killing him. Like, is, 
What was that, Jeff? Oh, I was just saying, I mean, killing him is, is opening the door, like you said. I mean, who's next? I mean, there's going to be someone else that takes his spot. There's going to be someone else that has their own ideas and beliefs, someone else who wants to, you know, cram it down our throat, and they're going to do it with missiles and guns. I mean, it's, it's, it's a never-ending story. I mean, yeah, we may have kept it at bay for a while, but, I mean, this goes to what I was talking about with the villages and, you know, depending on where you're at. Yeah, you may see little kids that want to run up to you and hug you and, you know, hang out with you and stuff like that when you're on, um, you know, on a patrol. But then you go to another village and, you know, the same age kids look at you and they look like they want to, you know, cut your head off already. So, I mean, yeah. someone's getting, I mean, they're, some of them are getting groomed and someone else is going to be right there doing it again. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, and at the end of the day, like we touched on it, it is a culture, and it's not exclusive to Afghanistan. It's a no. culture within the global Muslim population. There's this subset that has this, you know, I've never read the Quran, man, so I don't know what it actually says, right? But there's a huge group of people in the world who believe it says that they're supposed to be doing this sort of thing, right? And like y'all yeah. touched on, they are devout, devout people who think that this is their calling by God you have to eliminate that whole mindset from the planet. If you're ever going to truly stop those terrorist acts, you know, meanwhile, I mean, yep. before nine 11, the biggest terrorist attack in American history was by a white, a presumably raised, you know, Protestant, uh, you know, American guy being what's his name in Oklahoma city. Uh, McVeigh, McVeigh. right. McVeigh. Yeah. Timothy yeah. McVeigh. And his reason for doing it was he believes that the ATF. Yeah was wrong for killing all those people in Waco. So, yeah. You know, it, it's kind of like right. racism. It's this idea that we could just get rid of racism. It's the same thing with religious beliefs. It's never going to go away. It's a utopianistic yeah. idea. It's a nice idea, right? Wouldn't the world the, the world's a better place with less racism in it? Of course it is. But it's still going to be there. People that are different sometimes don't like other people. That doesn't make it right. Doesn't mean we condone it, but it exists and it's never going to not exist. So yeah. I don't know what I guess Afghanistan is such a one dimensional population that racism is probably not a big thing there, is it? No, not not to my knowledge, but I mean, Justin's heard me say this before and, and I'm going to say it here. You know, there's things in this world that will never be solved or cured. Uh, racism, terrorism, you know, they're never going to have they're never going to release the cure for cancer. I mean, there's too much money in medicine. There's too much money in racism and there's too much money in terrorism. The world is, the world revolves around money. They're never going to solve any of those things because there's too many people making money off of it. Yeah. And if that wasn't true, we'd be at war with China right now with the damn COVID virus, you know, yeah. nobody wants to talk about it. All, all of a sudden our safety is not that important anymore. I've said know? it many times on this show and I'll say it again. Fuck China. You know, but no one wants China. to hold them accountable for, for what they did. And yep. it's amazing to me. Everyone's so scared. But there's too them. much money and in, in not fucking China. That's yeah. Yeah. like Jeff was saying, you know. There's... Yeah, well, look at the way that the NBA bowed down to him 18 months, two years ago, I guess yeah. now. Yeah. You know, look Freaking at uh, dude. John Cena. Yeah. You know, that apologizing was, uh, for Fast and the Furious 27 wasn't going to be shown there. So, yeah. And, and, and if you want to take a if you want to take a really just kind of brass tax approach to it, can you blame a company for wanting access to a 1.5 billion person population? Right. Like 
don't get me wrong. It's the world I think it's a crock in. of shit, right? But to, to Jeff's point, there's a lot of damn money to be made over there. And if you want to make it, you got to play by their rules. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right, guys, I had one more kind of tough question on the, on the war front. And then I'd cable, unless you disagree or have any more specifics, I'd kind of like to just let you guys throw a few things out there on. I imagine like us, you've got things you'd like to, it's not like Marines to bitch about things, but <laughs> just sort of raise what y'all think are the big issues in our culture right now from y'all's perspective. Um, but we were talking a lot in the last show about drones, drone strikes in particular. Um, I took the position that uh, there's a certain level of, to me, drone strikes are kind of a problem because you are able to so far remove the inherent uh, oh, casualty, an inherent problem of going to war that it makes war like too easy. And I say that knowing full well that those drone strikes help keep guys like y'all out of harm's way. Also knowing full well that as Marines, your job is first one in and last one out. So my guess is y'all weren't always that worried about that. But, you know, I, like and one thing I wanted to add to our conversation last week, Cable, is none of what I said applied to, you know, elite special forces uh, or, or guys like Justin and Jeff, Marines going in under cover of darkness and, you know, executing a raid with, you know, high-end technology that we have that provides for that. But the idea of, you know, a computer programmer being able to pr- to, to just program a, a, a plane basically to fly and drop bombs on a wedding or Man, we didn't even talk about this, but just the week before he pulled out, we did drone strikes in Syria and Afghanistan that demolished a hospital and a high school. So we were talking about like the civilian casualties from these drone strikes, right? Um, yep. What are y'all's takes as Marines on the idea of drone strikes? And is there a certain level of technological advancement you think maybe becomes a problem I know it gives us an advantage and you want every strategic advantage you can get, but I also pointed out, you know, throughout the history of warfare, there have been, you know, rules of engagement that were internationally agreed upon. Right. We pointed out like when in the old days, when two shield walls would clash, they'd have their battle and then everybody was allowed to collect the dead and find the wounded and the, the fighting stopped. Right. That was an understood aspect of that type of warfare. It just seems like with each, type of technology we develop that allows us to further and further remove there's nothing that strikes home here more than the loss of soldiers right that is to me the most costly aspect of war i don't want to see it but if we really it to me that's one of those things that makes you think real effing hard before you go to war right is this cause crucial to our our country right and the more we can automate that, we end up in, you know, Terminator, right? With just like a Skynet situation. And it makes it easier and easier for the politicians to start a war if they don't have to answer to the families of, of people we lost. Is that, does that make any sense? Am I just way out of bounds? What's y'all's perspective on kind of that specifically? Go ahead, Jeff. Um, yeah, I mean, there is a problem with that because one of the, well, one of the biggest problems in my opinion is they remove the human factor. I mean, now, now some guy sitting behind a computer just hit, 
you know, hits a button on his keyboard. Well, he has no emotion, no nothing, nothing attached to that. I mean, his life's not on the line. He doesn't see who he kills. It's not even going to bother him. When when you have straight up combat, you're there on the ground. I mean, and Justin, I'm going to speak to something that he knows that I'm going to say here is just like we had uh, we had guys that were over there with us. You know, we had people above us that were dropping bombs because, you know, it was easy for them. They weren't the ones that, that had to go pick up the bodies or decide, hey, man, you dropped the bomb on innocent people. I mean, he's just the guy behind the computer or behind the radio, and it doesn't affect him the way that it affects the people that are actually out there fighting. And when you give politicians that power, I mean, it's, it's easy enough for them now to say, hey, let's go to war because they're not the ones fighting it. But now when they can say, hey, let's push that button, I mean, it's just that much more removed from it to where it's not a big deal to them. Yeah, yep. I agree 100 percent. I like the idea of the guys on the ground calling it in, you know, instead of some dude sitting in Las Vegas, you know, that's never been to a foreign country, bombing the shit out of a wedding or a funeral. You know, and where does it end? I mean, we have all this stuff now. And if you look at what everybody, you know, uh, where's DOD? What are they going to put their attention to now? Well, it's kind of guys like us, you know, freaking gun-toting small government guys, you know. And I, it, drones scare the shit out of me because I feel like if, if we wanted to, if, if the government got so bad, it got so big, and, and they their values no longer our values, taxation without representation, that we could do something about it. But then you throw drones into the mix, and and that's, you know, I'm more worried about them using that on us. But but on the flip side of it, some of those guys, like if, if you see a guy digging on the side of a road outside of a military outpost in Afghanistan, Iraq, somewhere like that, most likely those guys know that's a no-no, you know, especially after dark. So if getting guys like that, I mean, that, that that's kind of the win for the drones. But I don't know right. if it outweighs the, the fault in it. Right. And that's the thing. Nothing is nothing is black and white when it comes to this sort of thing. Right. I get the advantages of it, but I I, I appreciate oh, yeah, it. Right. I mean, no, no doubt about it. Right. But I, y'all both said exactly what, you know, I was trying to express last week that, that, you know, there's this detachment that it allows that makes going to war, in my opinion, too easy. It needs to be a serious freaking deal uh, if we're going to go to war yeah. in general. And man, Justin, <laughs> I don't know that I was able to put a bow on it last week but I, you can look all the way back to like gitmo right and we were we've been holding yeah. we've been holding these suspects for in some instances over a decade with no charges like that we don't even know what we would charge them with right it was like loose intel and we just snatched these guys up and we stick them we couldn't even house them in the u.s because we had no legal process to do it so we hi- house them in a base we maintain in a communist island right and then yeah. We utilize drones, not just for the strikes, but for the intel, right? The, you know, I was, uh, there's a guy who's been uh, convicted of basically being a whistleblower for pointing out the number of civilians that are, that are killed in these drone strikes. Daniel, something we talked about him last week. Oh, that's oh, a good yeah. question for you guys. Edward what Snowden, percentage you know? of uh, people, when you, I mean, and Jeff just alluded to, hey, they're not the ones that have to go pull out the bodies out of the rubble. What percentage of the people killed in these drone strikes were actual combatants uh, versus citizens? What would you guys yeah, say? I, mean, I don't guess? know. Go ahead, Jeff. I was going to say, and that's where, you know, it, it comes Yeah, Drones, drones definitely have their advantages in combat. But when you're just getting all willy-nilly with it, dropping bombs on whatever you think is a target, I mean, then that's when it starts to get to the point of, okay, 
you know, this is, this is not, you know, this is not good. Now, yeah. you know, hey, hey, you're in the middle of a firefight and, you know, we're taking heavy fire and we call in a drone strike on obvious enemy targets that are firing at us. Yeah, that's an advantage. But, man, I mean, people just, it just turned into a, let's just drop bombs on anything. And that's, that's where the problem is. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, to me, what you just described seems like an appropriate use of that drone technology. My guess would be y'all never, you know, anytime a wedding got blown up and, you know, seven out of 10 people that were killed in it were civilians. That's probably not something that uh, your CEO came around and shared with you guys, right? Like that was, you know, probably no less visible to y'all in country downrange than it was to us over here. I would think. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, you might hear about it and all that. Yeah. Well, the, the problem was, is what I was mind. speaking. Yeah. What I was speaking to is, is we had that happen while we were over there and we were the ones that had to go assess the damage for the oh. quote unquote bad guys that they dropped the bombs on. Gotcha. So you and, did have firsthand yeah. knowledge. Sure. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you firsthand, there was not a single bad guy in that house. Yeah. 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 Well, that pretty that, much. That, that gets into a different conversation about Marine Corps. And I'm sure the army deals with this too, but our, our military officers coming straight out of college and, and being in charge of, calling in air and being in charge yeah. of a platoon. I don't want to drop any, any stones, but if they listen to this. They know who we're talking about, but yeah, but yeah, that's, it's, <clears throat> I'm not going to get into that. Cause, but anyways, I agree oh, with what Jeff said. We hear you. <laughs> that's yeah. a problem, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. Big problem. So getting back to the point a second ago that Justin had touched on you, you know, you see what happened with Gitmo, you see how they can collect this information from cellular data, et cetera, drone monitoring, you know, and then execute these strikes. And then you look at our current government's current position on the greatest threats that our country faces. And it's the five of us sitting here talking, you know, presumably, yeah, exactly. I mean, none of, none of us, yeah. you know, we're in the Capitol on January 6th, right? But it's people like us who yeah. do, like you said, believe in small government, you know, that are willing to speak our minds and exercise the first and second amendment, right? Yep. They are saying we're the terrorists now, right? They're saying, dude, yep. they, they've got libertarians listed as one of the top threats to the United States. Libertarian by definition, people who believe in freedom, right? Yeah. We know, where the hell's my phone? We know that these effing phones in our pockets are listening to us as we speak. So is this damn thing we're recording? This is getting backed up God knows where, right? But, oh, yeah. you know, have you guys read the book 1984? This is, this is probably already canceled. I have, and I read Animal Farm, too, both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah, if you haven't read it since, yeah. like, high school, I said, we say it all the time. Read that book in modern times right now, and it's scary. it'll freak you yeah. out. I, I just finished Animal Farm again a few weeks ago. God dang. That's, it's, is it pretty? Like, uh, so Right now. Yeah, I, I need to reread it, that one because I, I read it in it, high school. It, it, it'll it'll explain the media so well in that really? book, you know. And I, I don't want to if you haven't read it, I don't want to ruin it for you. But but yeah. you know, they they the whole thing is they they write the rules on this wall, you know. And then at night, someone comes in there and rewrites the rules, and they're like, "What do you mean? It's always been like that, you know." And that's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's I mean, weird, like, hey, man. take take these life saving vac these world. <laughs> Take these amazing new vaccines that are, are going to save us all, and then a couple months later, like, well, they're going to you're going to get sick still, yeah. but you just won't I mean, die from a little it. bit. You know, you just need another one every year until you die. Right. 
Yeah. You know? So are, are they, so, I don't know as, if you guys As have, I said, I'm drinking unsweet tea and Ivermec in my red solo over here. Boy. <laughs> That's a boy. Um, have you guys paid any attention to what they're doing with the military right now? I've got uh, a buddy who's been in the reserve 17 years. And I think he has until October 1st to get vaccinated or they're basically cutting him loose. And uh, I don't know. I, that's That's not specific just to the military hell my wife's hospitals doing the same thing to their employees what are your thoughts on that or were or were there things that they made you take when you were in the military that you're like oh, i don't know if i want to do that i, I took oh. experimental drugs that i'll never know we're, what we're about uh-huh. <laughs> yeah I, I, I don't know if you remember that jeff but i did they, they picked like 30 of us and literally it's supposed to make us see better, hear better, supposed to have no more shit. endurance, had all these pros, but they only gave like 50% uh, the real pills and everybody else got, got the placebo. So I don't know what I got, you know, but I know they taste like ass. <laughs> but, but yeah, and we, we, I literally had to do ex- experimental drugs for the Marine Corps. Yeah, and for the 50% Navy, of the guys, did, but... yeah, 50% of the guys that took it had like live awakening night terrors. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Hell, it's, on a different point, uh, you know, something that involves like burn pits and things like that that, that that vets are fighting right now that no one's talking about it. Jeff survived testicular cancer. Um, we had another guy in our, our, our squad or platoon, uh, Starnes. He had testicular cancer, I believe. Uh, but it, wow, it started. Really? It's, it's weird. It's, oh, yeah. 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 Within our just our just our small platoon that was together in Afghanistan, we already have four cases of myself including, but four of us in just that platoon. I'm not talking company, battalion. I'm talking four wow. guys in that platoon that have been diagnosed with testicular cancer. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. And if it's you weird. and if we're you all start, the same age, you know, yeah. early thirties. Yeah, and, and if you start looking into that, just Google, you know, whatever combat deployment, cancer related, whatever, and it it's I mean it's there. The numbers are there, but no one wants to talk about it, but it's, you know, I learned about the pit burning thing. You mentioned Justin, uh, sometime prior in the last year, I don't remember who I was listening to or what, but cable, do you know anything about what they're talking about? No. So these bases generate a shitload of daily trash, right? All kinds of trash. I can't imagine how much plastic, right? And the only way to deal with it in a place like Afghanistan is to dig a big ass hole and burn it. And so they have these nonstop, correct me if I'm wrong guys, but like, 24 7 365 there's this giant basic you know a little landfill burning that black putrid smoke that if you just catch a whiff of it you know is going to try is going to kill you if you breathe enough of it Mm -hmm. and they send you know grunts into the pit with like pitchforks and shit to just continuously stir it and there's guys that spend six eight hours a day with like a (laughs) with like a covid mask on their face if they're lucky right a burka (laughs) Yeah. yeah and standing down in this like down in the pit just keeping the fire going and breathing that shit all day long. And they come back with terrible. I mean, dude, they're basically lining their lungs with plastic. Right. Yeah. Just, I, I, I met a guy in Bamsi. I met a guy at Bamsi a couple of years ago and uh, we were in, I was there for a different reason, but anyways, we we're in the emergency room and I got to talk to him and he was the only one in this fire team that was alive. And uh, the other three had, had passed away from cancer already. Jesus, and he was, he was fighting it, you know, but wow. It's, Unreal. It's and that, uh, underlining issue. Yeah. yeah. And we haven't even touched on PTSD and suicide and all that stuff, man. Like, 
Holy we had another guy commit suicide last week, a corpsman. Yep. Oh, y'all sacrifices. Well, it seems like it's uh, obviously you're walking around on two prosthetic limbs, Justin. So it's not something that ever goes away. Jeff, congratulations on recovering from cancer. And um, I don't know. Your sacrifices just seem like it's uh, it it never goes away. It's with you for for your entire life. Uh, Even the ones who didn't have those profound health uh, impacts is mental health. It's um, I don't know. It's we, we appreciate, uh, I, you know, there's no way we can put into words how indebted we are. Honestly, I don't even think of my legs like that with as much guys that we lost over there. And like I said, losing my best friend from my hometown and I don't even give myself the satisfaction to, to let that sink in ever. You know, if anything, I regret what we did because of the lives we lost. We're never going to get them back. And some of those guys, all of them were, were great, but, but a couple of them were really great. You know, and and it it hurts for sure. It, but if it, it, it having that, you know, just totally outweighs anything that happened to me. You know, I'm just I'm sure Jeff feels the same way. You know, what percentage you're, you're living and breathing and hunting and fishing, right? So, yeah, I'm walking, stabbing yeah. hogs, scuba diving. You know, I'm here. You yeah. know, and those guys never left. So uh, here's a question for you. Let's probably get our show canceled. But I don't care. <laughs> when the shit hits the fan and the government starts dropping drone strikes on people like us um of course we hope that this is just not reality but i'm i'm fearful of like just like you said justin what percentage of guys that have gotten out of the military are conservatives gun owning conservatives who if it if the shit hits the fan we can look to you guys and say okay what do we need to do here how do we how do we rally the troops? How do we come up with a plan? I mean, Chisholm and I are civilians. I don't know the first damn thing about uh, resistance, you know, or, you know, I don't want to say the, the other R word revolution, but you really are towing into it right now. Man. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, we, I guess we would be looking to you guys for leadership in a situation like that. I, I wouldn't even say conservatives, but, but gun toting, probably more libertarian libertarian ideals and everything else yeah, yeah i think that it, that's especially with the combat vets that's pretty much universal uh pilot same way the, yeah. the guys that i meet I, i've never met one that was like man biden's doing a jam of job right you know? yeah. <laughs> uh, i mean what, if you didn't believe in but, freedom you'd have never gone right like yes sir but uh, uh, to your point what would it take it would take uh, a high it would have to get so bad that a high power guy and most likely it's going to be a general or something like that would have to would have to say this is where we take our stand and i think vets uh and not just vets shoot everybody with a gun from texas hell there's people in my town that could out shoot half the guys we were with you know <laughs> i mean yeah we're five we got plenty of guns the drones kind of scare me but yeah. it, and rogan talks about this every once in a while it, it's hard to take us over with us you know those guys that that are going to be kicking indoors coming to get your guns and stuff they got guns you know, they wouldn't mm-hmm. be in the position they were if they didn't like that. You know, if they, they wouldn't be you know, a special forces Marine or, or Navy SEAL or Green Beret or a Marine infantry, Army infantry. They wouldn't get, get into that line of work in a time of war if they didn't have the beliefs that we have. Yeah. It gives me the willies just bringing that up, you know, like whoever wants to talk about that. And, and I'm never yeah. one that's going to be like advocating for it. But it, it just 1984, read, read the book where it seems like we're trending that direction. And um, yeah government just keeps getting bigger and bigger that's a problem 
So uh, building off that, and, and Justin, you started to touch on it, but what would – it's one thing to be sent to Afghanistan to fight against, you know, a foreign adversary, even if, like you said, the whole time you're questioning whether you're really being told straight what we're there for, right? It's obviously another thing for something here at home to happen, I, I guess – what kind of thing could you see happening? And you, it sounded like you just said it would take a general putting his foot down. Like, it, what kind of things could be asked of guys like y'all, you know, stateside Marines here at home in, say, a pandemic, right? Or, or you know, whatever the next homegrown disaster is to say, I- I'm not taking those orders, no. Like, I think in places like Texas, you're you're starting to already see that. Where there's, I, I honestly, I don't see them shutting Texas down again, at all. I mean, there's no way we we. I feel like Greg Abbott knows of that that that's not going to happen. You know, no. my 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 little town of Orange Grove, COVID. I mean, we had COVID cases, but the masking and all that, it never happened here. You know, the people losing their jobs and stuff like that, we kept on rolling. You know, mm. and it's just, but it's a small town, small community. We can do stuff like that, but. Uh, and as far as what it would take to to get there, I mean, they would it would have to be like we don't want a war. We don't want America to, to go off into a civil war. You know, of course not. especially those guys that have, have seen that. It's not like we don't want to be oppressed, but at the same time, it has to be worth. It's, it's not going to be our military against their military. It's going to be massive civilian casualties. You know, yeah. like 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 America hasn't seen since since the Ever. civil war. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And and we don't we don't want that. We want to uh, just we really need democracy to take over. And I think I think it will. I think the next couple of elections, you know, I think the like I I hate saying I'm Republican because I don't agree with most of the Republicans out there right now. I think the it's the, the le- way, it's the less of two it, evils, yeah. Justin. That's why we, yeah, we just don't it, vote Democrat. Exactly. There's two choices. Yeah, right? exactly. Yep. Yeah. And that sucks. That 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 we need more parties. You mm-hmm. know. I don't feel either one represents me to a whole, you know, I, uh, I, as far as like gay marriage and race issues, stuff like that, I want everybody to be happy, but I want exactly. my guns and I don't want you to tell me what to do. Yep. You know? We're, we're the same as you. If I'm not, if I'm not hurting my neighbor. I want the government to stay out of my business. Amen, yeah, man. You guys know that guy, Coleon Noir, the second amendment guy. Um, he's been on with Rogan. He, he's, he's a attorney yeah. from yeah. Houston. Yeah. He was on with Joe a few months back and said something like almost exactly the words you just used where he was like, you know, I just, you know, believe, let you know, you do whatever you want at your house and I've got nothing to say about yep. it and I'll do what I want to do at my house. And as long as those two things don't ever come into conflict, we're good. And Joe's response was how, uh, how mighty Texan of you, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it was, I think it might've been, it might've even been longer than that. It might've been last summer before he moved here. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, that, yep. that's, that's exactly no, it, no. Right? They, like, I, that's one of the few I listened to that you made me listen to, and he was. They were definitely in Austin because he drove from Dallas okay. to Austin, and they were talking yeah, about all, right. his sports yeah. car. But he had just was, gotten here, I think. So. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, guys, I, I got. Think that's let's the way wrap to this save up. This deal. Oh, good. Oh, I was just gonna say, let's wrap it up by uh, talking about hunting and fishing. What What trips do you guys have um, that you're looking forward to this fall? And it might just be hunting at your deer lease or whatever. But Jeff, what uh, What are you excited about as we're heading back into the best time of the year? Uh, I mean, exactly. That's the best time of year, man. We get to go shoot, go get to go shoot, shoot animals, and stock our freezers. 
Yeah. Um, yep. I mean, and I, I just as, got as him into bow hunting. Nice. Yeah, he 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 got me into it. He stuck a bow in my hands, and now now I'm hooked. Uh, I mean, give that a yeah. shot. It's definitely a little bit different than rifle hunting, but I know coming up a lot different. Uh, next month, right yeah. at the beginning of dove season, I got a big dove hunt coming up on uh, me and the girlfriend. That's gonna be that's gonna be pretty exciting. I'm ready for that. But then after that, I mean, I'm just ready to go shoot some animals and stock the freezer. It's always a good time. So opportunistic. I like that. Uh, you guys yeah, have great. We're gonna have a great dove season. Too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, and it's it's gonna be real good this year. I mean, we got like thirty inches of rain in the last you know month and a half. Man, there, there's so much goat weed everywhere, and I've seen sunflowers yep. everywhere. Yeah, it's should be a good one. Yep. What about you, Justin? And for those who don't know, I'll, Justin's a big hog dogger too. Yeah, and my dogs are about to lynch me. Uh, <laughs> that the field season was horrible this year, just because the mud and and the grass is so tall, you know, right now. So I was actually able to get on my first hunt this past week. I hadn't been in probably three months. I've exercised mm-hmm. the dogs, but we haven't been hunting, hunting. And uh, we got a pretty good boar, so I'm I'm back. But, nice. but still, we need some roads to get cut and stuff like that. You know, I mean, everywhere you go right now is three foot tall grass. So, yeah. Uh, so I don't know what it does to the dogs. I think it's just too much smell in the air, but uh, it jacks them up. You know? Yeah. And I'm scared I'm gonna run over a dog. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can't see them. You can't see what they're chasing. I, I know we were yeah. bird hunting one year, um, you know, in an area that had real tall grass and goat weed and stuff, and my dad's lab we were knocking birds down and i mean talking like hip high grass you know knocking birds down and i mean this his lab it was a i mean a badass badass dog she would try to bury her nose down and then she'd come out sneezing just you know yeah you know yeah, this, all that pollen yeah absolutely yeah it's a it's, it's a lot for our noses yeah you know for yeah. sure oh yeah well the thing I got going for me there is I love bird hunting, but I only hit about one or two with about 250 <laughs> rounds. So it's more about like, you know, a 24 pack of beer and about two birds. <laughs> there you go. And as long as you're having two fun, man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, just, that's uh, a laugh. just pull that choke out and let them get a little closer. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> well, 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 hey, one thing I wanted to add, Cable, if you don't mind real quick, yeah. uh, I started this this deal. It's uh, I have a page on Instagram, but it's called Dark Horse Archery. I called it Dark Horse because my friend that got killed was with three five, and their battalion uh, uh, logo was was Dark Horse. Uh, but anyways, I'm just hooking vets up with bows. If anybody wants to check that out and find out oh, awesome. way they can they can help out if they want, we've given out I think 13 bows now. So, uh, but just uh, it's not necessarily disabled vets but uh, it's, it's vets in general that could use something. I, I like archery because you can do it in your backyard, even if you're in a city. You know, I got a buddy that lives in San Clemente that shoots into his garage in a very crowded neighborhood and yeah. has had nothing but praise from his neighbors. So I know a guy so like it, that. It's a good, it's, <laughs> Cam Haynes? <laughs> no, me. <laughs> Cable, oh, yeah. Cable, used to shoot, <laughs> Cable used to shoot from across the street in his, in his old neighborhood in McKinney. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about those neighborhoods where – you know, you can touch the house next door and your house at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's where I live, and we were shooting in my backyard just recently. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Awesome. Yep. Dude, well, I, so, I would, hey, so I, I would, I would love to help with that, man. Uh, any way possible, dude. For like two years, probably, I've had on my heart a way to, you know, a desire to help the veteran community, and I didn't really know where to start, to be honest with you. And you know, life. I got four kids and whatever else, but. um, you know, I'm, I got really into bow hunting and archery 
kind of in general, like six, seven years ago, you know, I set up my own bows. Um, so do that, you know, I know just about every model that's been made in the last 15 years. So, uh, yeah. Be Thank you very much. Really and I've so how can, how can, folks, how can folks get in touch with you? I guess is the best, uh, way to uh, wrap this well, up. My, my Instagram is, is two feet in the grave, but if uh, I have an actual dark horse Instagram, it's called dark horse archery, uh, all okay. one word. So, um, but what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I've been getting these, these, uh, mission bows, uh, for guys, but also mm -hmm. what I'm doing is taking in used bows. Uh, I got three left-handed bows in my house right now. So when I get three left-handed vets, you know, I just, they're building up. Most guys are, are shoot right-handed, right. but, uh, but Dude, that's, I got, that's I got, I got two sitting in my closet right here. I'm going to give you. And they're, yeah. Both and I just get them. I, I take a look at them. They need to get restrung and restring them and, and, and get them out there. You know, um, my, but my friend, they got killed. They have a, a, a foundation, the Colton Russ scholarship foundation. And they, uh, they made a big donation to us the other day so that we could, we could get some more guys bows. Uh, and cool. it's, I don't know, like you said, I was just trying to find a way to kind of help, help out. And archery has definitely done a lot for me just because, you can do it anywhere. Like with the dogs. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly having weather issues, you know, where I can shoot in my garage, you know, I can shoot my house. I've done that shoot right out of my wheelchair. I can get 15 yards to my hallway, you know? So, mm. but it's just, it's, it's something that, that rifles and pistols and everything. That's, that's all a lot of fun, but you kind of got to go to a gun range if you don't live out in the country. And yeah. so, and I, I don't know. I just, I thought it was a, was a cool thing so I'm, like i said we just started this a few months ago but but it's been going really well awesome well thanks for giving back justin obviously thank you for your sacrifice jeff thank you for yours um uh of course also bobby who had to bounce a little bit early uh we appreciate all three of you guys and and thanks for coming on and just being transparent and, and giving us your honest opinions there's no there was yeah, no man. right or wrong answer uh i just yeah. wanted to have a conversation yeah. with you guys so we sincerely appreciate everything for sure. Y'all were, I, go ahead. I would say I, I would like to give Jeff a shout out and Crow too. Crow's, Crow's a great Marine, but uh, there's a lot of command issues that, that I really disagreed with in the, in the Marine Corps and having Jeff as a team leader in Iraq and having Jeff as a squad leader in Afghanistan definitely helped, helped avoid situations, you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that could have been a lot worse, you know, by having someone that, that was smart, intelligent, and, and willing to do the things that we needed to do to accomplish what mission we thought we were accomplishing. Awesome. Right on. Uh, I love you too, Rocky. <laughs> hey, that's what I do, baby. All right, guys. God bless. Thanks so much. Hey, you guys, yes, don't matter, Thank hang, out, hang out for just a second as we yeah. shut okay. down the actual recording. Well, I'm sure they're continuing to uh, talk hunting and fishing off the air, but we got to go, so uh, put a little bow on this bad boy. Thank you guys and gals for tuning in to episode 43 of Justified Pursuit. I'm Cable Smith for Chisholm Cook. We'll see you next week. Flashback to Fallujah, lost another best friend. Three tours of duty and you're wondering when it's all going to end. Body's broken and bone shattered, blood and dust in your mouth. Getting weary, but you're running with the few and the proud. Sometimes you wonder why you went. You never wonder what you stayed on for. You've been home for a couple of years now, buddy, but you're still fighting the war. Men go off to war for a hundred reasons. Are they all cut?
opinion to the floor You've been home for a couple of years now, buddy But you're still fighting the war 